Good morning, everybody. My name is Al, and I wanted to start and let you know that DeAndre is our worship pastor here, and he is not feeling well this weekend. He is sick. He does not have COVID. He's been checked. He's double, triple checked on that. But he is not well enough to lead worship. He came on Thursday night hoping at rehearsal that he could make that work, that he could figure that out, and he tried, and he couldn't make it work. So he is wonderfully taking a Sunday break, and we get to be uh, thankful here because we have our cellist back with us. Yay! And Jordan is leading worship with us, and we love Jordan, and she's been with us for a number of years, so so thankful for that. Great job, band. And uh, once again, thankful that you are here. Glad you're here with us in this room. Glad you're uh, with us online. I want to start by identifying something that I think is common among all of us here in the room. This is something that I'm confident all of us can agree on, whether you are here in this room or you are online, whether you are brand new with Mountain Park and this is your first time, or you've been with us for 15 years, whether you are in high school, college, or you're an empty nester and experiencing the later stages of life, one thing that I'm confident of each and every one of you, you, you knew what I, you know where I'm going with this, don't you? We all want this joy. Whatever our situation, whatever our circumstances are, we want joy. In fact, this is how we measure our days in terms of, okay, was this a day filled with joy or not? Somebody comes up to you and says, how was your day? How, how were things? Well, if we say, great, what that means is that was a day that was filled with joy. Somebody says, how was your day? How are things going? And we say, nah, medium. That means there were hopefully moments of joy. But there were also moments that were not joy. Or if somebody comes up and says, how, how are you doing? And we say, oh, not, not good, not good at all. What that means is right now, at this day, at this season of life, there's just a shortage of joy. This is how we measure vacations. We set aside three days or a week or two weeks, whatever it is, we set aside a chunk of time so that we can go and get rejuvenated or whatever we want to do on a vacation, and we measure how that three days or one week or three or two weeks went based on the amount of joy that we experience during that time, and that that is going to look differently for each and every one of us. I mean, we, we have different definitions of, of what joy is going to look like. For some of us, we go on vacation and we just want to relax, just want to just tone everything down, just be calm and just relax. Other of us want to, others want to cram as much as we can in on vacation. We have seven days and we have 28 things that we want to do in those seven days. Go, 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 go. Some people on vacation want to do fun, silly things. And then other people on vacation, they want to go to museums and learn things. <laughs> they call that joy. I don't know. It's just different people have different interests. Some people on vacation want to read. Others on vacation want to do exciting things. Some people want to read about others who do exciting things. There's a variety of ways that we want to experience a vacation, but overall the whole thing boils down to we want joy. It's how we evaluate our relationships. Do I get joy out of this relationship? It's how we evaluate how things are going at work. It's not just about the money. It's not just about, about, you know, you finishing a project. It's are you experiencing joy in your place of employment? It's how we evaluate decisions. It's how we evaluate purchases. We want joy. This morning, 
We're talking about money. We're talking about tithing. We're talking about the biblical mandate for those of us who are followers of Jesus to sacrificially give towards the work of the kingdom. Now, if you're honest, how many, for how many of you does that fill you with a tremendous amount of joy that that's what we're talking about here today? Yeah, okay, there's a couple of you. Okay, good for you. Fantastic. For others, however, this might not feel like the, a strong connect. There might be some of you online. You're, you've already, you're gone already. Or we've lost you. We lost you 10 seconds ago. If you're still online, please stay with us. Don't be tempted to do that little X in the corner of the screen. Stay with us because we're talking about joy here today. We're talking about what is the connection between money and joy. What is the connection between how we spend, how we use money, and God's intention for us in terms of experiencing the thing that we are all longing to experience, and that is joy? That's what we're going to talk about for the next few moments. Would you bow your heads with me as we head into this? Father, I thank you that you you do want us to experience joy. And I pray that you would allow us to see that. You'd allow us to do that today, God. There's often anxiety in church when we talk about money and such. Father, I pray that you just, you just, you just cleanse this whole room of any of that. Because you, you have our best interest in mind. You have our hearts in mind. You know what we need. And so we don't want to hear from Alan here today, God. We want to hear from you. God, would you speak to us in a beautiful way we pray in the name of your son Jesus. Amen. Well today with this topic I want to look at a few verses in the book of Malachi in the Old Testament. It's the last book in the Old Testament. Some some refer to it as the Italian prophet Malachi. Uh, but uh, it's also pronounced Malachi. We're looking at chapter 3 verses 8 through nine. Again, it's the last book in the Old Testament, the second last chapter in the Old Testament, chapter three, beginning in verse eight. Will a mere mortal rob God? Yet you rob me. But you ask, how are we robbing you in tithes and offerings? You're under a curse, your whole nation, because you are robbing me. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. This is a verse about money and joy. We're going to walk this out a little bit here over the next few few moments. A number of years ago, I talked about these verses. Some of you may have been here. You may remember. And uh, this was uh, quite a number of years ago. This may have been the only other time that I have actually uh, uh, used these verses in the past. But I started off with an introduction before letting, uh, letting you know, the, the group know where I was headed. I just started off by saying, hey, I have an announcement to make. Uh, I have some bad news to share with you. Uh, we have discovered this week that uh, some money has been stolen from the church. And um, we, it, it, this wasn't a one-time deal. We're actually discovered that it's, ha- it's happened over a period of time. We don't know how much money has been stolen, but we do know that it is in the thousands. Thousands of dollars have, have been stolen. 
And some of you may remember that moment because I kind of, I did that as an introduction. And, uh, and then I read from Malachi chapter 3, verse 8, that uh, you rob from me. How are we robbing from you? In tithes and offerings. That in the ways that we don't give to the church, we are robbing from God. So that was my really clever introduction. But it was a little more effective than what I had hoped or intended because when I said that, a bunch of you, you might remember this, but a bunch of you got really upset and were like your mind was spinning and you, some were crying and, and having, you know, having to slow down their breathing. People stole from our church and it was really upsetting. And I was saying, no, it's just an illustration. But I didn't get the church back. I lost the, I lost the whole group. And, and there were people you know, in the room saying, I don't think I'm ever going to trust Alan again. And so it was really rough. So today I'm going to have a different approach. So, see, I learn. We're, not, we're always learning, always growing and learning. And Okay, so I'm going to have a different approach here because today I'm talking about joy. This, these verses are about joy. There is much for us to celebrate. Now, what is the connection between money and joy? Well, at, at the very core of it, we... We so much want joy that we're willing to pay for it. Okay, the connection between money and joy is that we want joy so much, we are always willing to pay for it. In fact, that is so often the filter for us in terms of what we are going to spend money on. That, that's, that's how we make money decisions so often is whether or not this is going to bring us joy. We we decide we want something. We say, this is something that I want to pay for because we've seen the commercials and we know that because they eat and ate, ate or drank that thing, I'm going to buy that so I can eat or drink that thing so that I can be just as young and as beautiful and as happy as they are. That's what we do. That's what commercials do. They stimulate us to say, I want money. I, I want joy, so I'm going to pay for it. It's what we do. It's, 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 it's how we make money decisions often, is, is we weigh the balance of stress and joy. And we say, if I put my money in that direction, how, what is going to be the balance? Is there going to be more stress than joy, or is there going to be more joy than stress? That's how we make our decisions so often. They say, money can't buy happiness I'm not sure that's true. I mean, really, really. At least money can certainly buy happiness, at least in the short term. I mean, the people who say money can't buy happiness have never been to a hockey game. And it costs money to go to a hockey game. People who say money can't buy happiness have never gone to Cold Stone Creamery. Let me just tell you, it's, you know, it's delicious. People who say money can't buy happiness have never purchased a puppy. Okay, I know that puppies that are seven years old can be whatever, kind of ugly and such, but any God-created puppy is, is going to be an adorable little thing, <laughs> just loving on you, and there's tremendous happiness, at least for the day, when you purchase a puppy. Now, how would you finish that sentence? People say money can't buy happiness, but dot, dot, dot. How would you finish the sentence? Those of you online, you can write in the little chat there. How would you finish that sentence? People say money can't buy happiness, but dot, dot, dot. We want joy, and we're willing to pay for it. But there's a curse. There's a curse that the prophet Malachi mentions here. 
You are under a curse. Your whole nation, because you are robbing me. When we walk out our days with a heart that is not generous and believe that our joy can be purchased, we are under a curse. Because what happens over and over again is we see something, we like it, we want it, we work hard for it, we get closer and closer, we finally get it, and we experience that joy. Money can buy happiness, at least in the short term. We can experience that joy, and then we are burdened by it. Every possession that we have becomes an obligation. Every time, no matter what it is, we have to clean it, we have to store it, we have to repair it, we have to feed it, we have to use it, etc., etc., etc. Very few things that we can purchase with money because we seek joy. Very few things that we purchase with money can have a long-term sustained level of joy because the reality is that we are under a curse. And the hunger that we have, the hunger for joy, the hunger for more is insatiable. It is a hunger that cannot be satisfied. And in our culture, it just bombards us over and over and over again. You are driving the car that you're driving. You drove it here to church, and you love your car. You're very satisfied with your car, very happy with your car. It has treated you well, and you are not concerned or complaining about your car one bit. And then you get a ride with your friend and drive your and get in your friend's car, and you go, whoa, this thing is awesome. And so you can't even hear the engine because it's electric powered. It's amazing. And you just love the car, and you think, way to go. Good for you. And you're not jealous. You're not comparing yourself to that person because you're an adult. You're not in middle school. You're over all of that stuff. And then just, and it just so happens a week later, coincidentally, not connected at all to you sitting in the passenger seat of your friend's car, you think, man, I hate my car. <laughs> you just think, this thing, I am so unhappy driving this car. I have to put gas in it, stupid gas, internal combustion engine. Who drives it? You know, what is this, 1914? And we get all upset about, about, all, about all of this. Just so happens. This hunger is, in, is insatiable. It just, it's a curse that happens. And our culture just feeds it over and over and over again. Let me ask you a question. And I'm not assuming that the answer to this question is yes. Okay, I, I truly, it just, for some maybe, for some not, but here's a question. Would you say that you were happier years ago when you had a whole lot less money than you are now that you presumably have more money. And again, I'm not assuming the answer is yes, but it might be for some of you. As we look at kids in our community here, would you say that the ones who have a lot of money, who have access to any gadget they want, any vehicle that they want to drive, would you say that they are in general happier than the kids in our community who do not have much money and cannot have anything and everything that they want. When we live our lives with a heart that is not generous, that believes that we can buy joy, we are under a curse. And we walk our days under this 
curse. Now, God says something here in the next verse that is unique in all of Scripture. No other time in Scripture does God say what I'm, what I'm about to reread with you here today. And it is something that God talks, says with regard to money that God does not say with regard to anything else, any other topic. God says in verse 10, Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. On this issue of tithes and whether we are um, living a generous life, God says, test me in this. It's remarkable because God never says, test me anywhere else in Scripture. In fact, Scripture says the opposite. Multiple times in Scripture it says, do not put the Lord your God to the test. This is not what we're supposed to do. What this means is we are not supposed to try to box God into a corner and force God to act the way we want God to act. We are never supposed to say, God, if you are real, if you love me, then by midnight tonight, I need an answer to this question. I need a solution to this problem. God, I am forcing you to prove yourself to me. That's putting the Lord our God to the test. And God doesn't play that game. He can never be boxed in. Nonetheless, he says here, test me in this. On this topic, I want you to test me. And this is different than trust me. Trust me says, you, trust, you can trust with just a little bit. Trust, and then we build on trust and build on trust a little bit to the point where we eventually will act. That we'll trust and build that up, and then one day we will act on that trust because enough trust is built up that we can say, I can move forward with this. Test me is different because test me says, act now. Test me says, test, go ahead, right now, go ahead and act on it. You don't need to believe that it's true. You don't need to trust that God will provide. Just go ahead and act now. And God says, I'll show you who I am. I'll show you what it looks like for me to pour out my blessings on you. Let me give you an example of this um, from earlier on in my marriage with Tammy. When we were first married, we bought this little house in Cincinnati, Ohio. It's a little four-bedroom house. And uh, for those of you who are not familiar, that, that white stuff is called snow. It's just, it falls. God made it. So, uh, so this house, we loved this house when we were first married. And, and it was a little bit of a stretch for us financially. But we put all the pieces together and said, we think we can uh, live in this house. It has four tiny bedrooms, or well, a master bedroom and then three tiny bedrooms. We're excited about one day filling up those rooms with, with little ones because at the time we didn't have any kids. We were living in this house early in our marriage, and we were invited to go out for dinner to a friend's house. This friend was new in town. He and his family were from England, and they had no money. They came across, and they believed God had sent them to Cincinnati. He was a new pastor on staff at the church where I was working. I was one of the pastors. He came on. He became one of the pastors as well. So we were we were co-workers at this church, and he and his family invited Tammy and, and me over to their house for dinner. So we, uh, we go to their house, and it is a tiny, tiny little apartment that is just, it's, it's, uh, again, they have no money, and they have three kids, ages one, two, and three. So they, they're kind of cramming everything, you know, tight. 
in more ways than one. Okay, so they, they, they are in this tiny little apartment in a very questionable neighborhood. And there's only, it's a, a two-bedroom little apartment, and they're all jammed into this place. They all come out and meet us at our car and welcome us in. And then I overheard the dad say to one of his uh, kids, remember, don't look at the demonic um, structure in the neighbor's yard. Don't look. Remember, we don't look in that window. We don't look in that window. And so as they're walking up and so, ah, there's this thing. There was just a very questionable neighborhood and such. We went in, had a delightful time with their family, enjoyed dinner, enjoyed playing with the kids and all that. Tammy and I are driving home. And, and Tammy jokingly says, I feel like we should switch homes with them. And then we were silent, and then I looked, out, looked over at her, and I said, you want to? And then she smiled, and then I turned the car around, and we went back to their house, and, and we pulled up, and they were surprised to see us again, and we walked in, and we said, hey, we got this, uh, this idea, and we shared it with them, and the kids were all excited, but the parents were going, you're nuts. The parents were going, the parents just thought we were absolutely crazy, but to humor us a little bit, they said, well, okay, let's just go check out your house, and so we went back, and the mom went in our car with my wife, and then I climbed into their minivan with the dad and the kids in the back, with their three and two and one-year-old in the back of the minivan. The little, little three-year-old girl, the oldest of their three, climbed up in the seat in the back, and she said, wait a minute, I've got to get locked in. And so I couldn't resist an opportunity to practice my awful wannabe English. And so I said, that's right, we'll wait for you to get locked in, because that's what they say. And so, so then, then I overheard her. She, she looked to her two-year-old uh, sister and said, ah, he speaks English. And so <laughs> it was a very proud moment for me. There's nothing cuter in the world than a three-year-old girl speaking with an English accent. Nothing, nothing. Even above, it goes that and then puppies. That's it. Those are the top two uh, things. Anyway, we, we got to the house and uh, walked around, and the kids ran around. They just loved it, and so we swapped houses with them for two years, and, and Tammy and I went in the, in the other, you know, questionable area. But look at me. I could handle it. Okay, so, so we, were, we were in this. Uh, let me just tell you, this story is, it was God's idea. You just have to understand this. This was absolutely God's idea, God's plan. It, 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 God had, had prompted Tammy with a joke. I'm not even sure she meant it. And then had prompted me with a response. And then we've, suddenly we find out we're two years into this journey. And this was so much fun. We tested God with this journey. And it was tremendous fun. It was a make a memory moment for me and Tammy. If you were here a number of weeks back, did a series about make a memory. That, that joy is measured not by the moment, by, but by later on as we reflect on the moment. And yes, there were some tough times in that, apart, that old apartment, that little you know, junky apartment. But when we look back on it, there's tremendous memory for us. How fun is it to be young and have very little, and then to give it away. It is floodgates of fun, I got to tell you. But that was 20 plus years ago. And so the question is, what are we doing now? The, the issue is not, and never is, that, that we did something once, or we, you know, we did something on the back, uh, at some point and then checked a box. The issue is, on an ongoing basis, what are we doing now to demonstrate that our heart is, is in line with God and, and experiencing the joy that God wants to overflow into our lives?
It's not just a one-time experience. What are we doing on a regular, ongoing basis to experience the joy that God wants to flood into our lives? Let me reread these words of Malachi. God, these are God's words spoken through Malachi. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. Says the Lord Almighty. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing, in other words, joy and happiness, that there will, be not, there will not be room enough to store it. That's what we all want. That's what we all long for. So, have you ever seen that happen? Have you ever experienced that? Do you believe that that's the way generosity works? Because if I'm honest, and, and, and I refer to tithing, tithing for me is not a tremendous amount of fun. The idea of writing checks that cover at least 10% of our annual income that we would give towards the work of the kingdom, that's, I believe that that is um, what we are to do and that is a part of what is good for our hearts, etc. We continue to do that, but there's not a tremendous amount of joy in that for me. I do it, I believe in it, I trust God with that whole piece. But the fun part happens in here. The, fun, the part that opens up joy is what happens in here. See, a heart that is not generous is a heart that is not satisfied. A heart that is not generous is a heart that is continuing to try to grab on and collect as much as possible. It is a heart that does not see the blessings that are flowing out so that there's no, not even enough room to store it. The, a, a heart that is not generous can't see that stuff a heart that is not generous clings to small things and misses out on the enormous, beautiful things that God wants to continue to offer you and the people you love and care about. A heart that is not generous can't see that stuff. A heart that is generous, however, understands that there is a, is a flooding of blessing of which there will not be enough room to store it. The heart that is generous sees that. A heart that is generous at the end of the day, any day, can say, thank you, God. Thank you, Lord, for today. A heart that is generous sees the blessings in any day. A heart that is generous at the end of a broken dream says, thank you, God. Because your will is better than my will. And I trust you with that. A heart that is generous gets at the end of 2020, a year that was very difficult for many of us, and says, despite any and all that happened, a heart that is generous says, thank you, Lord, because there are still countless blessings that you continue to pour into my life. And we can count those blessings and identify those things and experience the joy instead of scratching and clawing for it. God says, test me in this. Test me. It's not just trust me, but test me. You do it and I will show up. Absolutely, absolutely. Because here's what happens. The world has a different message than God. And it's a consistent 
message. The world message is collect all that you can. Buy all that you can. Keep up with all that you can, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And God's message is test me in this. Live generously, intentionally invest in the kingdom of God, not just that one time 20 years ago, but intentionally in an ongoing way, continue to invest in the kingdom of God, and I will pour out so many blessings in your life, you will not be able to store it up. You will be overflowing with joy. Two different messages, and the messages are very clear. There isn't ambiguity in these verses in terms of, where does God stand on this issue? The messages are crystal clear. The issue is not, "Mm, do we understand what the world is saying versus versus what God is saying. That's not the issue. The issue is, which one do you believe? The world has a message. God has a message. And you, as you look at both of those messages, which one do you believe is true? Not which one are you willing to obey. Which one do you believe will fill your heart with joy? Truly, which one do you believe is the greatest pathway to the joy that your heart longs for. Whichever one you believe, that's the one you should go after. That's the one you should pursue. That's the one that should shape your decisions this afternoon, tomorrow, the rest of this year. Because we all want joy. And the beautiful thing is that God promises us, test me. Watch me work. Watch me do this. Watch me respond to you. I want to pray with you, and then we'll send you out. Would you bow your heads with me? God, once again, I thank you that you have have built us with a desire for joy because you love us so much. we, We came into this world with a desire for joy, the joy of of our moms and our dads and our siblings and just and 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 tickles and laughter and playing. We had no idea what money was. We just knew that we wanted joy and we continued to grow up and the world says a message to us and wants to grab us and pull us in another direction. God, I pray that we would hear your voice, that we would see your plan, we would see your offering of a floodgate of joy and that we would respond to that. God, I pray in whatever way we can walk out of this place with a generous heart towards people in our lives who who are scratching for joy and hurting us, people in our lives who are serving in businesses and we think they don't deserve a tip, but that we would pour joy into them because of the joy you've poured into us. God, would you help us to live lives of generosity so that we can be a blessing to others and you can pour your blessing on our lives to overflowing, we pray in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. I hope it wasn't as painful as you feared at the very beginning today as we talk about the connection of money and joy. So thankful that you came to worship with us today. We have a prayer team that will gather up front. They'll pray with you about anything that you'd like, one-on-one. So thankful you guys came. Have a week filled with joy. We'll see you next time.